Our scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. Hear now the word of the Lord. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, They are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labor of others. But our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another areas of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. In the summer of 2017, the singer Justin Bieber abruptly canceled the remainder of a concert tour that had taken him across six continents in six months. Mr. Bieber cited fatigue and his fans fretted, of which Ben, I'm sure, was the most. But on the tabloid website TMZ, a more hopeful narrative quickly emerged. The 23-year-old singer left the tour because he had rededicated his life to Christ. Thanks to a pastor named Carl Lentz, the leader of the New York City branch of the global megachurch Hillsong. Many of you might be aware that in 2020, uh, last year in November, uh, Carl Lentz uh, was fired from his position uh, at Hillsong as pastor. And uh, the things that were cited uh, were numerous affairs, lying, manipulating, and mistreating the people that were around him. At the time, when I first heard this news, unfortunately, it kind of just washed past me because, unfortunately, this is all too common in our culture. Hearing of pastors and people in leadership, especially in moral leadership or in spiritual leadership, falling to things like affairs and the same things that Carl Lentz fell to. 
And as I read an article uh, in the New York Times about the rise and fall of Carl Lentz, I saw a narrative developed in the article. Carl Lentz uh, really started to become impressive in his ministry career. And it, in the article, at least, it all started with his relationship, his friendship with Justin Bieber. See, that friendship really catapulted him into stardom. And in such a way that his stardom slowly more and more became not so much just reaching the culture around him and reaching the celebrities that he was interacting with, but becoming a star himself. And his fame grew more and more impressive as he was on shows like Oprah uh, being interviewed, as he was photographed with different celebrities here and there. And as Mr. Lentz's profile rose, many congregants felt that the focus and f- on fame and cultural power that had actually helped the church to grow was now overwhelming its spiritual mission. See, Carl Lentz, he was becoming impressive not just to reach the culture, but now he was even becoming obedient to the cultural influences around him. His impressiveness uh, of numbers, status, influence, and fame began to influence him to such a degree that not only was he really obedient to the culture and seeking that influence and power, but ultimately he lost faithfulness with his wife, with his church, uh, and with the gospel. So how does this happen? Well, I submit to you that as people, as Christians, it's in our very condition that we are impressed far too easily with the world around us, with the culture around us. And because of, and that is because we value wrongly. When we value the wrong things, we're going to be impressed by the wrong things. And so what this scripture shows us today, I believe, is that God, he doesn't come in fanfare. He doesn't come with a, a light show uh, and with great stage presence. He comes in humility. God in Christ is humble of heart. And so we must humbly seek him. And so the first thing that I think we can gather from this in our scripture today uh, is that because God in Christ is humble of heart, we must also follow him. So go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles or digitally click your way to verse 1. That's chapter 10, verse 1 of 2 Corinthians, which reads, I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I'm away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show such boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. If we scroll down to verse 10, we see what his opponents are accusing him of. He says, they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. And Paul, in response, says in verse 12, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. And so what exactly is Paul being accused of? Well, in verse 10, we see that he was being accused of basically coming off too strong in calling the Corinthians to obedience to Christ, uh, is what the argument of his opponents was. And not only was he coming across too strong, but when he was present with them, he didn't look impressive. He didn't have a light show, right? He wasn't well-dressed. He didn't have the right sneaks on. You know, he didn't look cool. He didn't come in with incredible rhetoric, right? He couldn't argue his way out of a situation necessarily. He didn't look like what the culture of that day said somebody with influence and power should look like. And so 
in order to understand what the culture of that day was saying authority and power should look like, uh, we need to explore what the values of Corinth were. Corinth was an influential city uh, that was actually also heavily influenced not just by Greek culture, but by Roman culture as well. Uh, and it was the center of trade. And so people there had an opportunity for upward mobility. There was even a patronage system. It was patrons who were basically people with wealth, power, and influence would take under their wing somebody who potentially had a promising career, who they could share their connections, their wealth, power, and influence with, see rise to stardom, and hopefully also benefit uh, from that person's rise. So the culture really was about upward mobility, status, influence, honor, and pride. It was a culture of impressiveness. One of the commentaries I read on this said that at Corinth, this tendency in the rhetorical tradition, speaking of uh, just the general speakers that they would have come through and teach in an impressive manner, that tendency in the rhetorical tradition mingled with the structure of social climbing and the love of status to turn favorite readers into heroes and audience into fans. Man, that definitely describes our culture pretty well. Just go on social media, right? Go on Instagram, go on TikTok, where people, they try to generate followers as quickly as possible. There's even whole apps uh, uh, committed to generating followers for you, right? We try to see how many people can follow us, or we're one of those people where we just follow a lot of people, right? Uh, It might be pastors, uh, it might be social media influencers, it might be politicians, spokespersons. We lift these guys up as heroes, and we become their fans. Well, Paul's relationship with the Corinthian church didn't exactly look like that. He wasn't really a mega church pastor to them. He didn't look all that impressive, but he was the one who originally led them to faith in Christ and brought them the gospel. When Paul originally arrived in Corinth, uh, he went to the Jews, and when he didn't find success there, he said, okay, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. And God provided an open door so that he saw incredible witness to the Gentiles and people coming to faith, so much so that the Jews of that area actually dragged him before the local government to try to get him out of there. Such was the work that God was doing. But eventually, Paul would leave because God opened up a door to bring the gospel elsewhere. But as he left, those cultural values of Corinth, that culture of impressiveness, began to creep back into the church. And so immorality, division, injustice, and disunity began to happen in in the Corinthian church as they desired to really have their cake and eat it too, to be committed to the culture around them so that they can look impressive and be accepted, uh, but also be committed to the gospel and the cross. And Paul's opponents took advantage of this. They looked impressive, right? They, They dressed nice. They spoke well. They had the light show. They had the presence on stage. They could be exactly what the Corinthian church was looking for. But Paul, he, in his letter to the Corinthians, he doesn't try to convince them that he is, in fact, impressive. Rather, he embraces the meekness that he comes to them in when he says, I come to you in the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. And so that word uh, for meekness actually occurs also in Matthew eleven twenty nine. And I think sheds a lot of light on what Paul is talking about. So let's go ahead and turn to Matthew eleven twenty nine, if you're able to. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples and those who are with them. It's Matthew eleven uh, twenty eight to thirty. 
he says to them, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle or meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden light. God in Jesus Christ comes to us humbly and meekly, not in fanfare, not impressively. And he offers to us his yoke. And it's helpful for a moment to consider what a yoke is, right? Other than, you know, uh, being something funny that gets you laughing because it's a a yoke. I'm a dad, sorry. I got to have the dad jokes. Um, So other than that, it's actually an apparatus that's built out of wood that goes across the back of a beast of burden, so like a horse or an ox, and it comes around the front uh, so that it covers their chest so that they can actually pull whatever weight is behind them. It might be a plow or it might be uh, something that they're carrying, like a cart. And so a yoke was something that was a burden. It was a burden that you carried behind you. And so when, what Jesus is speaking to here is that he's inviting them to take off the yoke of needing to follow the law, and not just the law of God, but all those things that the local religious leaders were adding to it as well in order to have a right relationship with God. So in order to have a right relationship with God and be okay, you no longer have to simply be obedient to the law, but be obedient to Christ, who accomplishes the law on our behalf and imputes to us his righteousness so that we can be as children of God as he is a son of God. We can be found in Christ. And so to take upon us the yoke of Christ is to be able to know that we are children of God, to know our standing before the Lord, and to be yoked uh, to Christ who comes to us gentle and meek. And so Paul himself comes to the Corinthians having experienced Christ this way. He comes to them meekly and gently because he has experienced Christ meekly and gently himself. Unfortunately, the Corinthians, they couldn't see Paul's apostleship like Christ. And that's because they were too easily impressed by these false apostles because they were valuing wrongly the culture around them. And so we really need to value rightly if we're going to see and follow Christ. And to show you that, let me tell you a story about Billy Bean and the Oakland A's. The Oakland A's is a baseball team, uh, and Billy Bean was their manager for a while. And Billy Bean had a problem. Billy Bean, he wanted to win a national championship, but the problem was he didn't have the deep pockets to do it. The New York Yankees uh, and other teams like them would buy out all his best players at the end of the year. So each year he was starting with a new set fresh of needing to recruit great players. And the difficulty was that was is that he was really driven and excited to win a national championship. And so he realized, though, that he needed to change his value system. He needed to change his framework by which he recruited. Uh, back then, people would recruit baseball players, and still do, based on how impressive they are, right? Uh, and also, honestly, part of the characteristics were how handsome are they, right? Do they look, fit the role? Do they have the batting average? Do they have that 98-mile-an-hour fastball, right? Are they impressive when they play the game? Because those are going to sell tickets, and those are going to win championships. But... Billy Bean couldn't afford those guys. And so he met a statistician uh, from Yale who helped him open his eyes to see and value players in a new way. He stopped looking at players just for their outward impressiveness and just started looking at, do they get on base? And if they get on base, do they score? And he put together a team of people who get on base and score and so win games. But outwardly, 
were rather pathetic, right? Many of these people might not have even been playing if it weren't for uh, Billy Bean recruiting them to be on his team. And so Billy Bean, that season, had an incredible season. Uh, his team broke records. Uh, they made a run for the playoffs in a way that nobody would expect them to be able to. And he was able to do that because Billy Bean stopped valuing just the outward impressiveness that the culture around him told him he needed to value, but he started valuing what was truly valuable to him as he sought to win a national championship. So we, like Billy Bean, we tend to value things wrongly, and we need to change what we value in order to begin following Christ. But when we value things wrongly, we follow false teachers and messages and systems. The super apostles of our day are social media influencers, politicians, self-help books, uh, good marketing, and even other preachers or movements. And the reality is, we know that we are not yoked to the law as Christians. We know that it's through a relationship with God in Christ that we have eternal life. But we don't always act like that day to day. Our yokes are approval, security, peace, success, uh, things that we go to throughout the day um, and seek out without going to Christ first. Things that ultimately, if we don't receive them, right, or we're not sure if we will receive them, make us fearful and anxious. And so even I started meditating on this myself, and I realized so often when I was in situations to be analyzed by others, when people were looking at me, I began to realize I was so fearful and anxious that sometimes I, I didn't know what to say, I, I, or I would not even lift my hand in class to ask a question, uh, or I would just keep myself away from those situations. And even my very own behavior was being influenced by the fact of how fearful and anxious I was about not getting the approval of others or losing the approval of others. And that be started to become a signpost to me that I was yoked to a system of approval. Even though I knew who I was in Christ, I so was yoked to approval day in and day out without seeing it that it was affecting my inner life and my outward life. And so we need to be able to identify what those yokes are and take upon ourselves the yoke of Christ so that we can hear in Christ, you are my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. And in so doing, know that we are beloved by God and provided by God for all things that we need. God in Christ comes to us humbly so we can follow him. And one easy way to live this out uh, is just through the common rhythms. In your three times prayer, include a prayer of, God, what do you want me to see of you today? Because it's as we experience God's love for us in Christ and see who he is that we will be formed and be able to identify those things, those wrong values that we hold and be able to follow Christ. The second thing that the scripture shows us today is that because God in Christ is humble of heart, so we must humbly obey him. Let's go ahead and look at verses three through eight real briefly. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. And so actually in verse three, Paul is accused of walking in the flesh. 
And uh, in a lot of ways, this is ironic because it's actually his opponents who are walking in the flesh according to the culture around them. And the culture that they're walking according to is, and the theology that is built up in the Corinthians is almost a theology of triumphalism. Uh, This idea that we already can experience all the blessings of God now uh, and not just in eternity. In in a lot of ways, it's kind of similar to a prosperity gospel today, right? If we give enough, uh, if we follow the Lord well, if we live our lives well, we will have blessings showered down on us. We'll be able to be impressive and follow the Lord. And before you distance yourself too far from this kind of theology, you know, I'd invite you to ask the question, do you always choose obedience over comfort? I know that's not often true of me, or that's not always true of me. But Paul, he, ex- he explores this a little bit more with the Corinthians, actually in 1 Corinthians 4, 8 through 16, showing them that his exercise of divine power doesn't come from walking in the flesh, but a theology of the cross. And he summarizes, I'll summarize that passage for you. He says, the Corinthians, they already have all that they want. They have wealth, they have honor, they have comfort. While Paul and the other apostles are enduring looking foolish, homelessness, hard labor, insults, and even persecution for Christ's sake. So he urges them to be imitators of him, reminding them that his ways are in Christ. He desires not their obedience to the culture around them, but rather their obedience to Jesus Christ, which is what he is seeking for their building up, not for their destruction. Paul is talking about the gospel. He's about the gospel, and the gospel is rarely in line with the culture around us. And when it is, we should probably take a moment to pause and ask what's going on within us. And so that was the difference between Paul and his opponents. He was being obedient to the gospel in Jesus Christ and to nothing else. They wanted to impress others, but he wanted to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Jesus. Paul was seeking to be a disciple of Christ and not a disciple of the culture. But how do we go about that? How can we ensure that we are being discipled by God in Christ and not the culture around us, not the culture we grew up in, not the voices that speak to us? Well, Paul in verse 4 refers to the weapons of our warfare. And he says they have divine power to destroy strongholds, destroying every argument and lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God taking every thought captive to obey Christ and being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. In Romans 6, 16 through 17, Paul points out uh, what that looks like. And he says that we are slaves to whoever we obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or Christ, which leads to righteousness. In Christ, we have become obedient from the heart to the teaching we have committed to, which is the gospel. But that's not just something we do one time when we enter into a relationship with Christ. That's something that we must do daily by identifying what our idols are, what the culture is telling us, turning from that and turning to Christ and taking every thought captive. But sometimes we don't even know when we're being influenced. I don't know if you've ever heard of the company Cambridge Analytica. Um, Cambridge Analytica is a company that made its earnings based off of their uh, data mining. They actually use Facebook and other social media platforms to go out and gather 
uh, thousands of data points on hundreds of thousands of people. And so if they were able to steal my data, for instance, they would have thousands of data points and information about what my likes are, what my dislikes are, what do I look up on, on Instagram, what do I search? And then they use that data to create psychological profiles of people in the United States and around the world and then send to those people via the internet propaganda that was meant to elicit an emotional response from them, even bypassing their cognitive faculties to get them to make a decision or to influence them towards a particular behavior. And what's scary is that this was done uh, around the world and in the United States in politics, right? In the political races uh, that uh, we, we watched, even for the presidency. And that's a little scary, right? Because that means we were being influenced by a corporation without even realizing it. And if a corporation can do that, what is Satan doing through the culture day in and day out? We need to think about what messages are coming in and how we have internalized them because we have internalized them. One way that we can do this, again, is through the, the, the common life prayer. God, what do I need to repent of? We believe that we can pray, and when we pray according to the will of God, that he responds. So ask God and expect him to show you what values you need to let go of that are not coming from God in Christ through his word. The last point uh, that I think that this, we can take from this passage today is that because God in Christ is humble of heart, we must humbly be faithful to him. Look with me at verses 13 through 18. But we will not boast beyond our limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another areas of influence. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. And so we see here pretty quickly that Paul's work in the gospel is being compared with these opponents that are coming in uh, and building upon the gospel that he already had. And Paul talks about his boast in that process. Uh, his boast, and the word for that is kalchaomai. Uh, and we can find that same word in actually the passage that he quoted in the Septuagint, which is Jeremiah 9, chapter 9, verses 23 through 24. Uh, so if you want, turn with me there. That'll be the last passage that we look at. And it says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So we see two different things here. What man should not boast in, what Paul is not boasting in, and what man should boast in, which is the Lord. Uh, and this, this is incredibly countercultural, and this is what the gospel looks like lived out. And if you want to understand how countercultural this is, the next time you go to a job interview, I encourage you to kind of push your resume to the side and say, hey, it's not about what I've done or what my accolades are. 
I know the Lord, right? That's all we need. And let me know how that goes, actually. <laughs> um, but this, this is incredibly countercultural. Paul is saying, my boast is not in my rhetorical ability or my wisdom or my knowledge in who God is. My boast is not in my influence, not the number of people who I see come to know the Lord. My boast is not even in my connections or my resources, uh, my light show. It's not my boast is in nothing but in knowing and understanding the Lord. And it's the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. It's not what Paul could do for God in that process. It's what God was doing for and through Paul to bring the gospel to bear in the lives of the Corinthians and through them to the world around them. And that is so important because that's what it means to take upon ourselves the yoke of Christ. To know that God himself is accomplishing in us our salvation, our righteousness, that he's bringing the gospel to bear in our lives so that he might also bring it to bear through us. And it's when we trust not in our bank account, not in how hard we can work, not in how great a mom or dad we are, not how great of a student we are, but it's when we boast and trust in and spend our time with the Lord that we can truly experience his love, justice, and righteousness in us. And that last line, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. The Lord delights when we surrender those values to him and we simply come to him with nothing in our hands to experience his love towards us. And so, Humble faithfulness is continually valuing the right things, coming in God, to God in Christ to allow him to tell us what those are. So I just want to tell you a brief story about my grandfather. My grandfather uh, passed away when I was in the fifth grade, but after the fact, I was able to learn a little bit about his life. Uh, he actually grew up in Mexico and immigrated here as a young child. He was able to come with his family, uh, and in that process, his family were farmers. Uh, they moved around. But in that process, they also experienced a lot of racism, so much so that they were forced to always send the fairest child to the market to make sure that they could get the groceries that they needed. Yet even in the midst of that, my grandfather, who grew up Catholic, whose faith was really important to him, would serve his country in World War II. In World War II, he actually received a bronze star, and I got to read a little excerpt from the paper about uh, what happened. He, it describes him crossing icy rivers uh, to actually pull uh, people to safety, even under heavy artillery fire, so that more people uh, might be saved. He would come home and start a family, uh, be faithful in his family to bring them up uh, in the church, uh, and even though he passed away when I was uh, in fifth grade, my mom uh, brought us to church. She would continue to bring me to church, and it was in church where I came to know the Lord, where I experienced his love, justice, and righteousness for me. And it's not just my grandfather's perseverance in faith that brought me to Jesus. It's God's steadfast love, justice, and righteousness through him Right, that ultimately brought me to faith, that brought me to salvation, so that I might be humbly faithful as well. And so my grandfather, he wasn't impressive by any stretch of the imagination, but he was faithful to humbly uh, pursue whatever God had given him to do. And God was faithful in that process. And so 
to close, one of the ways that we can also be faithful is just by asking God again in our three times prayer, God, what is the work that you've given me to do? So again, we're asking God in prayer to reveal himself to us, to help us identify those values we need to repent of and what the work he has given us to do is. And then ending that prayer three times a day by thanking him for what he has already accomplished in you. And my hope is that we, along with the psalmist, would be able to declare that my soul makes its boasts in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Let us now pray and thank the Lord for what he has given us in Jesus Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for all that you have given us uh, in Jesus Christ, your Son. The fact that you have fulfilled for us the righteousness that we owed you. The fact that you have paid the penalty for our sin. The fact that you come to us meekly and humbly, that we might experience your gentleness with us, to know that you desire us to just come with empty hands and experience your love and graciousness so that we might follow you, be obedient, and be faithful for your glory. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would set our eyes on Christ, that we may be able to, with Paul, deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow you. Oh God, we give you praise and thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.